gave an excellent message last week on the spur of the moment. Um, and uh, we covered the first half of Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, so I'm just going to go ahead and continue on with the chapter, and, and we'll see what God has for us. Uh, verse 1 of that chapter, Ephesians 4 verse 1 says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And as, as Darren, uh, as he emphasized last week, you know, the, that, that calling is important, but sometimes... Um, Sometimes we're, I guess you could say, distracted by each other's callings. Sometimes it's it can be divisive, you know. It's like uh, I was I was thinking about that last week, what you were preaching on, and um, it's it's like coming downstairs on Christmas morning, and and you know you you open up your gift and you're excited about it, and then your brother opens his gift, and wow, he got a train. I didn't get a train. Why did why didn't I get that? You know, instead of being grateful for my own gift, I'm just jealous of the gift that that my brother had, and. You know, the, I think the devil wants us to think that way about what each other get, uh, what each other are blessed by. And God says just the opposite in his word. He said, don't compare yourselves among yourselves. We're not supposed to be held up to the standard of each other. We're supposed to be held up to the standard of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul gets into as he goes on in this chapter. He In, in verse 1, as I just read, it says, we're to walk worthy of the calling which we've received. Now that we've looked at the calling, let's look about how the scriptures say that we ought to walk. So we left off in verse 16. I'm going to read in verse 17. Um, by the way, I'm not crying. I'm too manly for that. I have peppermint in my eye. So just peppermint, <laughs> peppermint oil. That's part yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, anyway, verse 17. It says, Therefore I say this, and testify in the Lord, you should not walk... As the Gentiles walk in the futility of their thoughts, they are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They have become callous and they have given themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. And it goes on in verse 20, it says, But that is not how you learned in the Messiah, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him because the truth is in Jesus. You took off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, and you are renewed in the spirit of your mind. You put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. Since you put away lying, Speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And don't give the devil an opportunity. The thief must no longer steal. Instead, he must do honest work with his own hands, so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language is to come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need, so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. All bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting, and slander must be removed from you along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. This has long been one of my favorite passages. It's, it's helpful in so many ways. Uh, but let me just go ahead and read the first three verses again. 
and, and we'll look into them a little bit deeper. Verse 17, therefore I say this and testify in the Lord, you should not walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. And by the way, when he talks about the Gentiles, if, if you're not familiar with that, uh, before Jesus Christ came, the Jews, the children of Israel, were called the children of God. So basically the, the Jews, they're called the Israelites or the Jews, they were called God's chosen people. God had a special relationship with them. And then everyone else, the Greeks and those in Rome and in every other country, they're called, they, the Jews called them the Gentiles. And what happened when Jesus Christ came and is he died for everyone. And Jesus Christ had a special relationship, not just with his children, the Jews, but he, he had an open invitation for everyone to receive salvation through him. So when Paul talks about the Gentiles, he's talking about the world. Those who don't know God, they're living like the world, they're living in sin. Um, because they don't know the Lord, they act as if they don't know the Lord. Makes sense, right? Uh, verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They have become callous and they gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. One of the things that I was considering as I read the, this passage this week is why does the world walk the way that they do? You know, what, what causes that? If you get down to the root of why, why they have a certain lifestyle, why they, make, why they live a certain way, why is that? You know, um, the first thing that Paul says about that in verse 18, it says they're darkened in their understanding and they're excluded from the life of God because of their ignorance. And that's, that's, that was really interesting to me because it comes down to, for them, it comes down to what they know, or in their case, what they don't know. Because they don't know the Lord, um, they have a lack of knowledge, and that affects their behavior. It affects the way they live. In Hosea 4.6, God says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. The scripture says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Um, and the scripture has, you know, the scripture says a lot about faith. We are saved by grace through faith. The interesting thing, the interesting thing about faith, though, is that you cannot have faith without knowledge. If I don't know the Lord, if I have never, if I have never heard of him, if I've never heard the gospel, or say I, I haven't been willing to hear him, I haven't been willing to accept that knowledge, if I don't accept it as true, that means I have no faith. And so the knowledge that you have, what you know and what you believe, it truly does affect the way that you live, right? And so when you consider that, that they, they live a certain way, they walk a certain way because of what they don't know. They're walking in ignorance. It says they're walking in darkness. They're excluded from the life of God. They don't have God's life and God's blessing because they don't know him. They also don't understand their purpose. The world doesn't know what their purpose is. It's funny to me. <laughs> in almost, in almost, uh, if like if you watch any Disney movie these days, uh, there will be certain phrases that they'll the they'll spit at you. You know, it was meant to be. It's your destiny. You know, it's it's sometimes they'll even say something like it's what the universe wanted. It's what the universe wanted to you. I don't even know what that means. You know, the, I don't think the universe has a brain, uh, but there is this there is this sort of innate human need. 
to have a higher calling, to have a purpose. People want to believe that they're another one that's pretty common is, you know, you want to be part of something that's bigger than yourself, more important than yourself, right? You want to have people, people have that in their heart. They want meaning and they want purpose. But the fact is, if you take God out of the picture, if you don't know the Lord, then you don't have a higher purpose, right? The universe doesn't want anything for you. Things like destiny and <laughs> all those things that, that all those catchphrases that Hollywood has, all those, all those ideas that the world has, they don't actually mean anything without the Lord. And so because the people don't have this knowledge and they don't have that faith, they actually have no purpose. And people are wandering around in life wondering what their purpose is, wanting a purpose, but not really having any. Um, the, th the other thing that Paul says about the world is, he says their hearts are hard and callous. And uh, it's, it's, it's pretty common today for people to use, use that kind of language to explain someone who is insensitive. But Paul used, you know, having, having a hard heart or having calluses on your heart. Paul uses it here to talk about the spiritual condition of the world. I mean, we all know what a callus is, right? You, if you know, if if a, if a if a baby is born, their skin is soft. You know, that's that's kind of that's how you enter the world. Um, as soon as you start working with your hands, you know, if you're doing hard work, if I'm, uh, I used to get calluses on my hand when I would hoe the garden. You know, you have that handle scraping up your skin enough times, or you work with rocks. You know, wherever whatever part of your skin you're using, you're going to develop callus is there. It's a hard, hard buildup on your skin that actually prevents you from feeling things. It, it, it's, it dulls the sensitivity. It actually dulls the sensitivity of your nerve endings because it builds up this padding to where your nerves can't feel anything anymore. And so the, the word picture there is that Paul is using is you have, you have calluses on your heart. The way that your heart was designed by God, it's supposed to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, or it's supposed to be sensitive. You're supposed to be sensitive in your conscience to what's right and what's wrong. Your con your heart is supposed to prick you, so to speak, when when something is wrong. But if you don't know the Lord, if you're walking in ignorance, what happens is you do develop sort of a callus over your heart because because <laughs> your conscience does prick you, but you don't listen to it. Right, it you there's a there's a pain there, but instead of turning to the Lord, if you don't know the Lord, then instead of turning to Him, what do you do? It just pricks and it pricks and it pricks, and you try to ignore it until, in in spiritual terms, it's like a callus is being built up, until you don't feel the prick anymore, and so because the because the world lacks knowledge, and by the way, this is all of us before we're saved, if you lack knowledge then you start to build calluses over your heart until you don't feel. Uh, the scriptures say that the law of God is written on our hearts, but if you develop the callus, then your heart stops talking to you in that same way. You no longer feel the things that God designed you to feel. And the last thing that Paul says about them is his, he says their desires are for impure things. Um says they became callous, gave themselves over to promiscuity. That's, that's inappropriate, ungodly behavior for the practices of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. 
I think it's interesting that he says he says they have a desire for more and more uh, because because they don't have a genuine a true purpose in their life what happens is they keep searching for the purpose and they keep searching for the fulfillment and uh, you've probably heard a lot of sermons that that talk about this you know you nothing can fill that hole except for Jesus Christ well it's absolutely true nothing can fill your need Nothing can fill any need unless it comes from the Lord and unless God has, has blessed you with knowledge and with faith about, your, about the true meaning of your life and your true purpose. Uh, I've been reading Proverbs, 7, uh, Proverbs 27 recently. Um, it says that death and destruction are never satisfied and the eyes of man are never satisfied. And that's, that's saying basically the exact same thing. You know, in our flesh, whatever we, you know, your eyes are one example. If something you desire to see, you can fill it and fill it and fill it and fill it and it's never full. You know, if, if uh, even your stomach, you know, you can fill up your stomach for a little bit. But then guess what? You're going to get hungry again. You're going to need to fill it again. And the woman at the well that Jesus met with in Samaria, <laughs> Jesus was talking to her and he said, if you knew who I was, you wouldn't be offering me water. You would ask me for water because whoever drinks this water will become thirsty again. But the water that I have to give you, if I gave you water, then a fountain would come up from inside you and you would never thirst again. I don't think she quite understood what he was saying at the time, but uh, he was talking about that kind of spiritual fulfillment as water fills the body and nourishes the body. So Jesus Christ fills you and nourishes your soul, but it's not a temporary nourishment. It's actually something that will give you life forever. And when Paul says here that the, the Gentiles or the world are excluded from the life of God, when you receive this water, you receive the life of God. You get to live the life of Jesus Christ forever. And as Paul goes on, he actually talks about uh, the way that we ought to live because if you receive the life of Jesus Christ, then, then what comes with that is a responsibility to live the way that Jesus Christ lived. So, but you know, it's, it's certainly a fair question to ask. It's a question that I, I was asking when I first read through this. You know, why, why is it important for us to focus on the world? If, if you're saved, you're not like that anymore. So why does it matter? Why is, Paul, why is Paul telling all of these things to the church? Let's read the next few verses. Verse 20 says, But that, that way, that way of walking, that is not how you learned about the Messiah. Assuming that you heard about him or taught by him because the truth is in Jesus. You took off, you took off the former way of life the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, and you are being renewed in the spirit of your minds. The reason it's important, the reason that Paul is talking about the way of the world is because we as Christians, in a lot of ways, are still living like the world. Let's consider that for a second. We, we, uh, we, we already considered why the world lives the way that the world does. I mean, it makes sense. If you, if you don't know God, you wouldn't have purpose. You, you wouldn't have knowledge. And so you would, of course, fail for lack of knowledge. If your hearts were heart and covered with calluses because you didn't know the Lord, then of course you would live that way. And when we see the world living like the world, it shouldn't be a mystery to us. They don't know Jesus. That's, that's the way the world lives. It's they, 
in a sense, they can't really help it. I mean, they can turn to Jesus Christ and he'll save them from it. But aside from that, that's just, that's how the world lives. That's, that's, you know, without Jesus, that is their, actually their only option. But then what about us? We actually have Jesus. So even though in a lot of ways we're still living like the world, we have access to something the world never had and never will have unless they turn to Jesus Christ. We have access to a blessing. We have access to a, a way to change our own hearts and change our own lives and be blessed in a way that the world never can. But for, for a lot of us, actually all of us on some level, we're actually denying ourselves a blessing. God has offered us a blessing of actually being able to take on a new nature, a new life, a life without all of the curses of the world. And in a lot of ways, we're not accepting it, right? It's, I, I, was, I was thinking this week about um, the two phrases that Paul uses here. The first phrase is, uh, put off the old man. Put off, get rid of it. That way that you used to live, the way the world used to live, get rid of that. You're not, you're not that anymore. Paul says, you know, in, uh, in Romans chapter 6, you're not a slave to sin anymore. But he also uses another phrase. He says, then put on the new man, right? And so that's, there are two parts to that. First, you have to put off the way that you were and the lifestyle that you had, and then you have to put on something new. That's important for us to understand because if you're a sinner with only sin in your heart and you take out all the sin, what's left? You just got an empty heart. <laughs> That's all that was there. You have to you have to add something new, or you're not you're not blessed. Get rid of the evil. You're just empty. In order to be fulfilled, you have to actually take on the new life and receive the blessings that God has for you. And it's it's a it's a wonderful thing because, I mean, yes, we want to do these things to honor the Lord, but whom the who, those that honor the Lord, the Lord also honors. It is written, he lifts up the humble, but the proud he has cut down. Those who live the way that the world lives, they're constantly cut down. In, as, as, prideful, as prideful as the world can be, and as prideful as even we can be, when we're acting like the old man, when we're acting in sin, <laughs> that pride has consequences. And that lifestyle and that way of thinking and living has consequences. And it's not a blessing. It's actually a tremendous curse. But the Lord has something better for us. Paul says, assuming you have heard about him and were taught by him because of the truth is in Jesus, you took off the former way of life and the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, and you are renewed in the spirit of your mind. It says the same thing in Romans 12 too. It says, do not be conformed to the world. Don't look like the world. Don't smell like the world. Don't taste like the world. Be renewed in the, by the transforming of your mind so that you may know what is the perfect and acceptable will of God. Apparently, that's something that we have to learn. And apparently, that's something, or something that we actually have to do, even though we are Christians, in order to start acting as Christians ought to act. But uh, it's, it's, you know, I was... I was thinking earlier about how, how interesting it is that, that we actually have to be told to act like what we are. You know, how many times do you have to go out and, and uh, tell the sun, come on, sun, rise up in the morning. 
it does it. That's what the sun does. How many times do you have to tell the grass to grow? How many times do you have to tell the rain to go down and to, you know, from the clouds to the ground? It's, that's what rain does. You don't have to tell a rain to act like rain. You don't have to tell plants to grow or stones to fall. They do it because that's what they are. What are we? If you've been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, what are you? What sort of nature do you have? We have a, we have a renewed nature. We actually, Jesus Christ has traded his life for ours. He took our life on himself. He, he's, he's God. He doesn't deserve that. He doesn't deserve the pain and the humiliation and the suffering and the curse of the wrath of God that we deserved. But he took it for us. He took all of the curse of our life upon himself. And then he traded it with us. He gave us his perfect life, which means that we're able to be righteous. We're able to have fellowship with God. We're able to, to speak directly to God like Jesus could. And Jesus sees us as if we were him. That's a pretty good trade. But part of the trade is now that, now that, you know, I mean, yes, at the end of life, we get to spend eternity with the Father. That's wonderful. But in this life that we have right now, we already have a big part of that blessing. We already have access to the Father. We already have access to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We can live like God on this planet. We can live righteously. We can honor the Lord. We can receive the blessings that come with that. Why don't we? What does Paul have to tell us? Hey, Christians, act like Christians. I don't know. This is kind of funny. Um, it's probably a good idea to act like what you are. But uh, I know I've heard at least one pastor use this, this illustration for us, uh, transitional life form. We're actually transitioning from one, one kind of life to another. It's like a caterpillar. You know, it's, it's one thing. And it gets wrapped up in its cocoon and there's a transformation. It becomes something new. It is now able to fly. As soon as it breaks free of its prison, its cocoon prison, it flies off and it's this beautiful new creation. And this is what Christians are. We were one thing. Little sad caterpillar eating weeds on the side of the road. And now we're this, this beautiful new creation of God. It's a different creation than we once were. This is why Jesus calls it being born again. He says you were once born of the old Adam. You had the nature of the old Adam. Now you are born again. It's as if you have a new nature to you and a new body to it. For, for sure, a new heart is put inside of you. You're able to think and live and be blessed in ways that you never could before. And the new heart, whereas the old heart had, a, had the promise of, of eternal suffering, the new heart has the promise of eternal blessing. And as Paul said, you know, that, that, that should change the way that we live. Because we're not in the old self anymore. Verse 24, he says, put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. Hmm. So what does the new self look like? One of the reasons I love this, this passage in this chapter is because Paul actually goes on and he paints this picture for us. You know, it's, it's one thing to say, you know, just act like Jesus, okay? Oh, cool. What does that look like? Okay? I mean, yeah, you can read the gospel, but 
Paul is very helpful. He, he looks at the church, right? That's us. That's the same context that we're in. He says, this is what you should do. This is what putting on the new man looks like. Verse 25, he says, put away lying. Speak the truth. Each one to his neighbor because we're all members of, of one another. We're all members of one another in the church, as we talked about last week, connected to the head, which is Jesus Christ. Be, be angry and don't sin. So when you're angry, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, right? Don't be governed by anger. The Bible says that God, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting. You know, the devil's called the father of lies. And what's the first thing that Paul tells us not to do? Don't lie. Don't act like the devil. You know that God can't lie? It's actually not, it's not possible for God to lie. He can't do it. And so, okay, so if we're, lying so if old nature's over here um if if we're in the old nature and we're telling lies that's what the devil does jesus is saying i have given you paul says god has given you new life in the likeness of jesus christ it looks like the life of jesus christ it actually is the life of jesus christ that he gave you what are we supposed to do tell the truth so we stop acting like the devil and, and start acting like god be angry and don't sin don't let the sun go down on your anger um, well, I'm pretty sure the devil does have some anger issues um, based on the way he acts and the things that he goes about destroying. Um, and the scriptures also say that God is slow to anger. And we can see that because we all deserve the wrath of God right now. And guess what? We're not getting the wrath of God right now. God is waiting and he's patient. He's actually not giving us what we deserve. and He's being patient with us and giving us a chance to escape what is all but inevitable for us. So again, we're acting less like the devil like we used to, and he's telling us to act more like God. And he says, don't give, in verse 27, he says, don't give the devil an opportunity. Hmm. Here's a question. Where, where did the old self come from? Who, whose design is it? You know, God didn't design people that way. It's often been said, truthfully, that the devil doesn't really have any designs. You know, he, uh, he's, he's, not, he's not the creative type. And even if he was, he's not able to create anything. You know, he got, the devil didn't create bad people. God made good people. He looked down upon man, he said, it's good. And the, de- the devil came and he lied to them. He, told, he call, actually called God a liar. And he says, don't do what God says. He's trying to deceive you. He just doesn't want you to eat this fruit because then you'll be like him, Right? Eat it, and you will be like God. Well, they ate it, and they became somewhat like the devil. They took on his lies. They took on a lot of his characteristics. And so, in a way, the devil has actually taken that, that creation that God said, I will make man, man, male and female, in my image. He took them away, and he actually taught them to doubt God the way that he doubted God. So I, I, I don't know that I'll say 100% that we were, we were taken and turned into the image of the devil, but in a lot of ways, we did start to act a lot like him. And I think, he's, I think that was somewhat his intention. Verse 28 says, The thief must no longer steal. Instead, he must do honest work with his hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. It says, No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for the building up of someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. 
um, <laughs> you consider stealing. That actually kind of follows the same pattern. Scripture says the devil comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. You know, two of the Ten Commandments are don't, don't steal and don't kill. Um, so while the devil would certainly love to teach us his ways, we're commanded to take upon ourselves the image of God. Once again, you know, it's, it's, it's been, I know I've put it this way before, that we were created in God's image. It says that in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, we've fallen from that. We certainly have. It, it, when, the moment we fell into sin and, and we stopped acting like the character of God, uh, we didn't resemble him quite as much. But then there are several New Testament passages that talk about being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And Paul is telling us to take upon ourselves the likeness of Jesus Christ. That means we're like him. We look like him. We act like him. Hmm. That's where J uh, WWJD comes from. W what would Jesus do? You know, if, if it's used biblically, it's a good principle. What would Jesus do? What would God do? That's, that's, probably, that's probably what we should do as well. Uh, but then he says, no foul language has to come from your mouth. You know, some people, some people take that verse and they think, okay, I don't swear. Well, you know, <laughs> a lot of swearing is dishonoring to God, and a lot of, a lot of words we would consider swear words are, are um, they're, not, they're not very respectful, um, sometimes inappropriate. But what he actually says is, is, he says, only speak what is good for the building up of someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And if we consider... We consider the character of God and what God does with his words. What does God do with his words? Well, first he used his words to create the world that we live in. Then he used his words to, to create us. Those of us, uh, we were made in, in the image of God to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And every word that he speaks is a word of truth because he can't lie. And every word that he speaks is for our benefit and for the glory of God. So if we are to act like him, then our words should be much the same. And they should be spoken with the same purpose. He says, don't let foul language come from, from your mouth, but only what is good for the building up of someone in need. So that it gives grace to those who hear, that, so that it blesses those who hear, or edifies, builds up those who hear your words. Verse 30 says, and don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him to the day of redemption. All bitterness... Anger and wrath, shouting and slander must be removed from you along with all malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Jesus Christ. So there you go. Just as God forgave, as his character is, so should ours be. As I was considering this, I was thinking of the, the verse in James where it says, it says, don't be hearers of the word, but also doers. He said, a man who hears the word of God and doesn't do, it's like, it's like a man who looks in a mirror and immediately, as soon as he walks away, he forgets what sort of man he is. Uh, this particular passage is, is, it's possibly more like a mirror than, than uh, possibly any other passage that I can think of because it paints a picture for us of, of the way that a Christian ought to walk. So if you look at this passage and you see the things you, you see the way that a, a, a spirit-filled Christian ought to act. <laughs> what, is that, what does that do in your heart? You can see the way that a Christian ought to act. You can see the, the character of God. You know your own character. So if you're looking into this passage, 
you can see what the standard is. You can see how it compares to what's in your heart. And you know in your heart, because the word of God is living and active and God speaks to you through it, you know where you fall short. And when we read the scriptures, God teaches us. He teaches us who he is. And he shows us who we are. And it's, it's really easy to walk away and <laughs> forget what it is that we saw when we looked into the mirror and saw our own heart. Uh, but the thing that's encouraging to me <laughs> is that there is a way out for us. The Spirit of God doesn't just show us how we fall short. He actually gives us the tools to fix it. When the, when the scriptures, I mean, here in Ephesians, and, and again, as I said, in Romans 12, when it says that you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that's the work that God does in you. 1 Corinthians says there's one who plants and one who waters, but God gives the increase. And when you read the word of God, the word of God doesn't, it doesn't just sit there and allow it to self to be read. It changes your heart. If you let it, if you, if you, if you allow it to touch your hearts, instead of, instead of maintaining those calluses that have built up over the years of not knowing God as a friend in a relationship with God, you know, because <laughs> I guarantee you, every single one of us, by the time we were saved by Jesus Christ, we had some calluses built up. And probably for all of us, in, in some way or another, there are probably some calluses that still need to be softened. Calluses in places that still need to be worn off. Ways that we should be sensitive to God that we're not. And I don't, I don't say that just as a, as a guilt trip. I just say it as a reality. And I say, it, I say it to point out the same thing that Paul pointed out. That God has a blessing for us. Because every time a callus, every time you soften your heart, every time you humble your heart before the Lord, the callus is worn away a little bit. And you're sensitive again to what, to what God has for you and the blessings that he has for you. And I guarantee you, every single time you humble yourself before the Lord and, and turn your heart to him again, he'll renew you a little bit more. Your mind will be transformed. And that's where true fulfillment comes from. So I'm, I'm blessed by that tonight. And I'm going to go ahead and close in prayer. Father in heaven, we just thank you. We thank you for giving us your son. You've, you've, described, you've described that decision to us as, as a, a father giving up the only son that he had. Lord, every, everyone with everyone with children, I think, understands that it's it's it would be difficult, if if not impossible, to to give up the life of your child for someone else. And Lord, yet you you chose to do that for us. And God, we're we're so blessed by it. I'm convinced that none of us even know how blessed we are. And I just ask right now, Lord, that you would show us <laughs> that you would show us um, that we would. I, I don't know that we'll ever have enough appreciation uh, for what you've done for us. Uh, but what I, what I do pray, Lord, is that, um, that you will inspire in us a desire to humble ourselves before you, 
pray that you will uh, show us, Lord, uh, show us, Lord, ways that we fall short. And it says in your word, Lord, that, that, that uh, there, there is a time for sorrow. Um, and, you know, when Paul said that, he said, I don't say this so that you should be sorrowful. <laughs> it's not saying it's so that, so that we should be sad. Uh, but, Lord, uh, we know that you, you, you do allow sorrowful things, Lord, so that we will turn to you. And so that you will give us blessing and joy through it. And so, Lord, we rejoice in you. We rejoice in the blessings that you give us. And we just pray, Lord, that, that we would be <laughs> one-tenth, um, if, if, if it's even possible to be that faithful, uh, one-tenth as faithful to you as you are to us. Um, we pray that you would increase our faithfulness. And we pray, Lord, uh, that, that what we say and, and what we do... Um, and the thoughts that are in our heart, we pray that, that you would take pleasure in them. In Jesus' name. We're going to sing this song one more time, time and uh, watch, watch y'all do